This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Please open in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 1. Sorry to interrupt. But open with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. As Jeff said, we're in a series on the book of Acts. And today we'll be in chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please raise your hand. Our ushers will bring you a copy. It'll be our gift to you, and you'll be able to follow along this morning and take it home with you. So Acts chapter 1, I would like to thank Enrique for sharing, and Mike, and just commend the Connect group to you. I so agree with Enrique, about the burden of parenting adult children. (laughs) So we need lunch together just to support each other. It's a joke for my adult children that are in the room. So if you don't want to have fun today, that's fine with me. So (laughs) this is God's word inspired. It's a gift for us. Spoken by the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. And they returned. We saw last week the Lord had ascended and commanded them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Spirit. So they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of person was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong He burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akelvdama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And Let another take his office. 
Verse 21. So one of the, of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness of his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Jesus has been resurrected. He's been taken up to heaven, and he reigns. He's the risen Lord. He's still at work. And what he wants us to do is pray. He wants us to pray. Last Sunday, a friend of mine, a member of our church, Paxton, was telling me a story. It got my attention. He, Paxton's a car guy, and he has a heart for people, unlike most other mechanics on the planet. <laughs> and he had helped a, a random man with car trouble at a gas station, local gas station. While Paxton was putting gas in his car, this man came up to him and asked for help. He said his car needed a few things. He had paperwork from the mechanic. So Paxton knew the guy might not be on the level, so he asked to see the paperwork because he, you know, speaks mechanic and so he looked at it. It was legit. So he asked to see the car. And, and now you need to know another story. A, few, a friend of Paxton's in our church had recently called him about his car. And Paxton had worked on it and found out that it had a bad ignition coil. I don't have enough time to go into all that with you. But when, apparently when you purchase these, they, you can't just buy one, you have to buy a set of four. You know, the hot dog people get with the hot dog bun people kind of thing. <laughs> and Paxton told his friend that he might need another one of these coils later, so he should keep them. But the friend didn't want them, so Paxton just threw them in the back of his car. And next day he was tired of hearing them roll around in the back of his car, so he threw them in a friend's trash can and heads to the gas station. Pumps gas, starts talking to Andrea, his wife, about what they're going to have for dinner, and then that's when random man came up to Paxton, and Paxton asked to see his car. It's a different car than the friend in the church, but when they popped the hood, it just so happened to quote from Ruth, that it was the same engine as Paxton's friend in the church. Same engine, same problem. The paperwork from the mechanic had made it clear the 
the place he had taken the car. They weren't sure what it was. They were going to charge this guy a lot of money just to figure out what it was. Paxton knew exactly what the issue was. Looks at the guy, says, I have the parts to fix this. If you're willing to wait 10 minutes, I'll go get them and I'll, I'll be back. And the guy says, are you messing with me? And he says, no. And can you imagine the look on his face when Paxton actually came back? He gets in his car and his wife and daughter are there and they ask what's going on or his wife does and he says, you know, funny thing, this guy needs the parts that I threw in the trash can at my friend's house. And so he goes back to his friends and starts digging through the trash and his friend's son sees him and said, you know, what's going on? Well, I've hit some hard times. So <laughs> the son actually gave him a daughter, just a dollar just for fun. And then with the parts in hands, he heads back to the gas station, hands the guys the parts, says, let me get my tools. The guy says, wait a minute, you're going to install them too? He goes, yep, and he did. Random man looked at him and says, I got a bad tire too. It's about 40 bucks. <laughs> Paxton gave him a 20 after confirming with this little gizmo he has that he did have a bad tire, and he fixed his check engine light while he was at it. The man was 52 years old, Paxton found out. He was off work. He was on disability, battling cancer, fixed income. Told Paxton, look, if you can wait till March 3rd, I'll pay you back. Really was hard times for that man. Give it up for Paxton. You, you give it up for Paxton. You make the gospel attractive. This week I was somewhere and, and, and the person, I didn't know them that well, and they, they asked me for a word of wisdom for the day. I don't know why. And uh, they said, do you have a word of wisdom for today? And I, I was like, yeah. I had no idea what I was going to say. So I put my head down and I thought, what's my word of wisdom? I was thinking about this text and I said, you know what? The Lord is at work in your life. And our problem is we don't see him at work, but he's at work. I don't think this random man was just lucky. I don't, I don't find luck to be a very satisfying explanation of that. I don't think he went home to his friends and said, hey, I got lucky today. Jerry Bridges writes, nothing is so small or trivial as to escape God's control. Nothing is so great as to be beyond his power to govern this is, this is the God we serve. This is the God that is revealed in our text. The insignificant sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his will. The mighty Roman Empire cannot crucify Jesus unless that power is given by God. And what is true for the sparrow and for Jesus is true for you and me. No detail of life is too insignificant. For our Heavenly Father's attention, no circumstance is so big that he can't handle it. Certainly, this is how Luke, this is how the apostles viewed the world. In verse 12, Luke writes, They returned to Jerusalem, obeying the Lord from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, maybe where they had had the Last Supper, 
where they were staying, with one accord they were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The, the first response of the eleven, after Jesus ascended to, the, to heaven, was to return to Jerusalem and wait. He had promised they'd be baptized in the Spirit, so they go back. And, and, and Luke lists the apostles. It's the last time all of them will be mentioned in the New Testament. He carefully lists them. And if you compare the names with the list he gave in his gospel, you'll see a glaring omission. Judas. Verse 14, all these of one accord, they're devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The women were those who had gone to Jerusalem from Galilee with Jesus. They supported him out of their personal incomes. They were the first witnesses of the resurrection. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned here for the last time in the New Testament. We know she played such a significant role in God's redemptive plan. It's mind-boggling. She was a model, a young woman that trusted the Lord, that submitted to God. And, and Luke uses very emphatic language here. With one accord, these people were devoting themselves to prayer. It's underlined, it's in bold, it's highlighted. They continually prayed. One commentator says, it is striking, and we're going to see this at almost every important turning point in the narrative of God's redemptive action in Acts, we find a mention of prayer. God wants us to capture this from this text today and be men and women of prayer. There is a close connection between prayer and the acts of the risen Lord. Why is that? Well, our text sheds some light on this question. And we're going to unpack this text with three questions. Number one, what must be? Two things are revealed that must be. Peter communicates two things must be. Number one, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. Verse 16, brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. The words of Scripture are the words of God, and they must be fulfilled. The second thing that must be, there must be 12 apostles. There must be 12. There can't be 11. There can't be 13. There has to be 12. They have a very important role. They are significant. They're witnesses of the resurrection. And Peter quotes a psalm that, they, that must be fulfilled. Psalm 109. And says, Judas must be replaced. Verse 20, let another take his office. 
Psalm 109, verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, one of these men, verse 22, must become with us a witness to his resurrection. The scripture must be fulfilled and there must be 12 apostles. And so Jesus had given them the criteria for an apostle. And so they, they had their two requirements. He had to be with them and he had to be a witness of the resurrection. Scripture had to be fulfilled. We have to replace Judas. This is what the man must look like. But in the end, only the Lord can choose an apostle. So they prayed. They were, verse 14, devoting themselves to prayer. There was a large number of people that would have fulfilled the requirements for an apostle. So they, they, they're thinking through this. They're praying through this. It's a massive decision. When we have these major decisions, be inspired by this. Devote yourself to prayer. But notice the, the number was limited because no women would be considered. We don't want to pass that because it's, in our culture, this is not well received. Why were no women, why were there no women apostles? And why didn't they even consider a woman? There was obviously wonderful women who were part of this 120. Kevin DeYoung in his book on the subject says, Jesus's maleness is not without significance. Like the public prophets and priests and kings of old, Jesus was a man. Jesus, of course, came to save men and women. But in coming as a man, he literally embodied what true manliness was meant to be. Saving, protecting, rescuing, leading, teaching, and serving. So it makes sense that while Jesus honored women and empowered them for ministry, when it came to selecting those for positions of authority, he chose only men. There is no one more pro-woman than Jesus, and no one by his example and by his very person who did more to affirm true manhood either. But let's hear from a woman, an older woman. Andrian Seagal says, when Jesus enters the picture in the Gospels, we do see women deeply involved in and around his ministry. He clearly loved and welcomed women's contributions to the ministry. At the same time, however, Jesus did not name women among his 12. And then she gives us this little truth. And isn't it true? In so many areas, God's ways often turns our, ours upside down. Verse 16, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide, one of the twelve, to those who arrested Jesus, and it led to his execution. One of the twelve was their guide. But it was the fulfillment of Scripture. He was numbered among us. He was allotted his share in his ministry. Certainly people would have said, well, Jesus, you couldn't even get 12 right. Why should we follow you? 
You're a loser. You failed. Even one of your 12 fell away. He was a traitor. He experienced God's judgment. And now someone else is going to have his share of this wonderful ministry. What we're learning is that it's all part of God's plan. And the Old Testament revealed it. And the apostles saw this. The Spirit guided them and illuminated their mind. And they saw this is all part of God's plan. It was right there in the Old Testament. It was humans, human authors that wrote it. But it was the Holy Spirit who spoke. David spoke. But it was God the Holy Spirit who spoke through him. Psalms, these psalms were inspired by God in a deep, important, and powerful way. They still speak God's word, don't they? They still must be fulfilled. This is how God spoke. It's how God speaks today. It's how he leads his people. It's how he guides us through his word. Verse 18, this this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. With the 30 pieces of silver, he was paid to be a guide for those who would crucify him. And he fell headlong into a field and he burst open. It was a terrible death. The field was named the field of blood after his own blood. One of the twelve, he was judged. And his guilty blood gave the name to this field. He he fell away because of, verse 18, his wickedness. He was a wicked man. But it was part of God's sovereign plan. Now they had to have twelve because Jesus came... To bring a restored Israel. It was not unimportant. These apostles were important. Jesus said in Matthew 19. Truly I say to you. In the world when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne. You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones. Judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There had to be 12. Now there was 11. Verse 26. Matthias was added to the 11. Now there's 12. The old Israel had 12 tribes. 12 was symbolic. And these 12 apostles, now they received truth and authority from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have their written words in the New Testament. John Piper writes, From the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was preparing for the transmission of his truth and authority to us, his church, through authorized spokesmen who would teach with his authority, commit their teachings to writing 
and leave a body of inspired writings through which Christ would govern his church until his return. That's why we're spending so much time in this word this morning. He governs us through his word. Christ did this by calling, commissioning, and then sending the Spirit to guide the apostles. And they, they spoke by the Spirit. The second question we'll ask of our text to understand this deep connection between prayer and the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. How is the risen Lord Jesus continuing his work? He is risen. He has ascended. He, he is seated at the right hand of God, the Bible tells us. That's why the confession says it. He's the king of kings. And it has critical implications for the church. The Old Testament, Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Psalm 135, for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's Lord. His plans will succeed. His promises can be trusted. Wickedness and evil have never hindered God, and they never will. He, he taught his disciples the worst thing, the worst evil that ever occurred was his crucifixion. But he taught his disciples beforehand, this is coming. Because he wanted them to be aware. He, he taught them. He instructed them about his death, about his resurrection. And King David's betrayer in Psalm 109 points, foreshadows King Jesus' betrayer. Judas' betrayal didn't wreck God's plan. Luke said in his gospel, Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. Luke says, it had been decreed. Satan entered into Judas, it had been decreed. He was still responsible. He received a reward for his wickedness. Horrible death. This, this is a warning for all those who fall away. Have you ever been discouraged when it, it seems like someone who has walked together with you as a brother or sister in Christ and they fall away? Well, this, this is a warning. It says to those who fall away, it's not the believer that should be discouraged. It's the unbeliever. The real loser is, is always the one who falls away. Others are hurt. 
But ultimately, the one that turns away is the one that suffers the most. God will use even their deconstruction for his glory and the good of his people. He's not surprised when when Judas falls away. Judas, one of the twelve, is a traitor, a guide for those who would crucify. It doesn't stop God's plan. It's actually part of God's plan. Joseph said in Genesis 50, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's how God works. What what does the reign of Christ mean for us today? Well, Satan is, is certainly at work against us. There are demonic forces that do not want us to plant a church or the gospel to prosper or the forum to bear fruit. We don't want to be ignorant of their schemes. We want to pray, but Satan is not equal with God. We don't want to think too much about him. There's never a doubt who's going to win. Heard one man say, Satan's like a dog on a leash who is destined for the pound. We should always pray. The main point here is clearly that the the sovereign plan of God is not stopped by evil. God the Son upholds the universe by the word of his power. I, I enjoy the podcast, How I Built This. Guy Raz interviews successful entrepreneurs and they tell these fascinating stories about how they started some incredibly successful business and how against all odds they became multi-millionaires. A lot of times they start out with nothing and at the end of the podcast he always seems to ask, okay, how much of this, your success, depended on your hard work, which they all work hard, how much of it depended on your hard work and luck? That's the last question. Usually they say something, trying to be humble, usually usually they say something like 50-50, 50% luck, 50% hard work. I once played golf with two well-known Christian pastors, and at one point I hit a drive out of bounds. It wasn't that bad, but when the ball landed, it bounced out of bounds, and I said the most stupid thing I've ever said in my life when you're there with two theologians. How about a little luck? Then I got a lecture. (laughs) I got a teaching. I got a seminary class that luck is a pagan concept. Later, I was going through the Starbucks drive-thru, and and my barista said something about luck, and I I thought, you know, being the idiot I am, you know, uh, luck is a pagan concept. (laughs) The guy was a pagan. He was like, yeah. Luck is a pagan concept, an unbeliever. It's, it's, it's an unbelieving concept. R.C. Sproul wrote a book, the late R.C. Sproul, called Not a Chance. 
the, the myth of chance in modern science. It is true that if chance rules, God cannot. It is not necessary for chance to rule in order to supplant God. Indeed, chance requires a little authority, little authority at all, if it is to depose God. All it needs to do the job is exist. The mere existence of chance is enough to rip God from his cosmic throne. Chance doesn't need to rule, doesn't need to be sovereign. If it exists as a mere impotent, humble servant, it leaves God not only out of date, but out of a job. God is finished. If God is, chance is not. The two cannot coexist. R.C. was a believer. He said, this book is a diatribe against chance. Chance is a myth. Luck is a myth. Think of the odds being at a gas station. The the same time as a generous and kind Christian man is there. Not good odds. But not only that, this man is a world-class mechanic. Think of the odds. Who not only spoke mechanic... But, but understood the problem. Who had just fixed the problem? Who knew where the parts were that were needed? Who was willing to take the time to drive back to his friend's house and go through the trash? Think of the odds. Who could fix the car? Who had the tools? Who was willing to do it? And and even had 20 bucks, even though he's kind of a crypto guy. (laughs) Luck can't explain this. The odds are insurmountable. our, Our culture claims to be scientific, but they don't like to face what the odds are saying to them about all this. You really think this all happened by chance? I cannot believe that. (laughs) I am an unbeliever when it comes to chance. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. When I consider the heavens, the work of his fingers, the moon and, and the stars that he has ordained, that he has fixed into place, what is man that you take thought of him What is the son of man that you care for him? I can't believe it was all just chance. Finally, last question. We're trying to see prayer and the acts of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. We're asking of our text, what should disciples be doing? What should we be doing in light of this? Risen and ascended Savior at the right hand of God the Father, King of kings, what should we be doing? Verse 14, they were devoting themselves to prayer. Verse 24, they prayed. They said, okay, now he has to be 
Someone that was with us from the time of John the Baptist. Someone that witnessed the resurrection. We've narrowed it down to two, but we can't have 13 apostles. We, we have two, but he has to choose. And so they pray. And they cast lots. Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. In the Old Testament, that's how Joshua determined which part of the land went to which tribe. He cast lots. It was an acceptable way of making decisions because every time the dice was rolled, the lot was cast. He's that sovereign. Every time its decision was from the Lord. And Luke says, they prayed and they said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. What was important in this apostle wasn't just that he was there with them from the whole time. It wasn't just that he was a witness of the resurrection. What was important for an apostle was his heart. And the Lord knows his heart. So pause for a minute because he knows my heart. And he knows your heart. You know what the amazing thing is? For those of you who have trusted in Christ, he knows your heart. He knows every thought. You and me can say, I am the chief of sinners. Because the only heart and the only thoughts we know are our own. We don't know others' thoughts. And we know the sin that remains. So, I know my sin, and it's, it's greater than anything I know about you. So I can call myself the chief of sinners, but he knows every heart. And the amazing thing is that he loves us. That's what's amazing. He knows your heart. That's an attribute of God. And these apostles who knew him, who lived with him and witnessed his resurrection and ascension, they said, he knows every heart. So we got to choose between these two men. They, were all, they all fit the bill. They both fit the bill, but he makes the choice because he knows their hearts. He knows their thoughts. And he chose Matthias. The lot fell. It's every decision is from the Lord. They prayed and the lot fell to Matthias. Do not lose heart. Don't get discouraged. Jesus taught his disciples that they should pray. And these disciples learned that lesson. And at this critical moment, prior to the baptism 
of the Holy Spirit at this critical moment, they prayed. They had witnessed the resurrection. They had witnessed the ascension. And he had taught them, always pray, don't lose heart. One of their own, one of their own has served as a guide, had left them. They weren't discouraged. They prayed. They were like the persistent widow. They were like the impudent friend. They were just going to keep continually praying. That's the response of followers of Christ now that he is seated at the right hand of God. The Lord is saying to each of us today that he will answer our prayers. Father, we humble ourselves today and we pray that this, this book of Acts would change us as individuals and as a church. Lord, we want to serve your purposes. Lord, we pray that you would fill us afresh with your spirit as we study this book. Be at work, Lord. Bring revival in our own lives. Times of refreshing. Lord, let them come, we pray. Most of all, Lord, we pray that we would fulfill the purposes that you have for us as a church. We want to maximize, Lord, all that we do for spreading the gospel. We want to spread the gospel. We want to be used by you. We want to maximize that. And so we cry out, we pray, we study your word, and we hope in you, Lord. Let our gospel ministry prosper for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.